As usual, don't rush me. I need a little help here. Fancy me saying don't rush me with all these announcements going on about th this food that's going to be served after church tonight. And you talking about pressure and competition. That's real pressure for some of you, but it don't bother me a bit. I've never been known to be a short-winded preacher, and I don't plan to start that tonight. It's right for me to visit with you before I read the text, so please be seated for just a moment. It really is a joy for my wife and I to be back in Durham at East Coast Conference. This is premier conference across the Pentecostal community in North America. Not only that, but First Pentecostal Church of Durham is absolutely a church that is unparalleled. What a great, great congregation. And this didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen quickly. But this is the fruit of many, many years of labor by Pastor and Sister Godare. And I want to say that it is a special joy of mine to be the guest of Pastor Godare. Um, three years ago, our, my friend Brother Booker and I, we just sat down with Brother Godare and we just told him, we said, look, we've preached this conference for six or seven consecutive years and we're going to boycott it for a few years. And Brother Godare gave in to that. It was almost as if he was happy with getting him out from under having to invite us back, Brother Booker. And last year, before East Coast Conference was over, Brother Godare contacted me and asked me if I would preach on this Thursday night. And you know, I'm glad I'm here because I'm just glad I'm here. But after the health events in Brother Godare's life and seeing the mercies of God on his life, it is an exceptional honor of mine to be with Brother Godare. I'd like for you to stand for me to read my Bible. I give honor to the men of God that are here tonight. I deeply love and appreciate each and every one of you, what you represent and stand for in the ministry. What a great day to be a gospel preacher. What a great day to be an apostolic. A familiar text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read it thoroughly. Listen carefully. Paul, the writer, beginning in verse 1 of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels 
and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not, Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Perhaps I'm going to try to preach two in one tonight. And I promise you I'm very aware of the time. I'll work fast and I'll work hard to be sure that I don't delay the dismissal. There are four things of importance that I've read to you tonight. Number one, the emphasis is on charity. The purest and most comprehensive word to identify true love. Paul simply said, without charity, I'm nothing. But then there's three other startling things that I read at the close of my text. The second thing is, prophecy shall fail. The third thing, tongues shall cease. And the fourth thing, Knowledge shall vanish away. It has been broadly accepted that when Paul is referring to the gift of prophecy in his letter to the Corinthians, he's speaking of the gift of unction or the gift of preaching. For he continued to write and he said, I would rather speak five words in mine own understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. I've considered the writing of Paul, and I'm going to talk briefly tonight about the love of God. But I'm going to circle as the theme of my text tonight that part where Paul said, prophecies shall fail. One of these days, you're going to sit in a church service, and you're going to hear a preacher read the last text that you'll ever hear. 
Brother Booker, how correct you are that we're living in the end of time. Perhaps soon and perhaps very, very soon, there's going to be an apostolic preacher that will stand and preach the last message before the trumpet sounds. And if God would grant me favor tonight, I'm going to preach the message entitled, The End of Preaching. I've done this for my benefit, not for yours, but on the desk tonight, I will keep this. Preach tonight as if it's your last time to ever preach. I've always given it my best, but if God would grant me physical strength and that holy unction, I pledge and promise Him that I'm going to lay it on the line tonight. You may be seated. Stay with me, Brother Spell. Now, in me taking my time tonight, I would like to do a little census taking. I would like for every preacher that's here tonight that you've been a gospel preacher for 50 years or more, would you please stand? Gentlemen, you may be seated, and the reason I wanted you to stand is that if you've averaged preaching two sermons a week in your 50 years, you have preached 5,200 Bible sermons. Probably the men that's been preaching that long, they preach much more than an average of twice a week. And if you have preached an average of three times in all the weeks of you being a preacher, you have preached 7,800 times. I like for the men now that's been a preacher for 45 years, between 45 and 50 years, would you stand? Hello, Brother Puckett. In the balcony. Gentlemen, the, the same number, I'll make it quicker. If you've preached twice a week the last 45 years, you've preached 4,680 times. Those that's been a preacher for 40 years, would you stand? 40 to 45 years. I want a good count. While you're standing, you have preached at least 4,160 times. Would you be seated? 35 years to 40 years, would you stand? If you've been a preacher, hello, Brother Chapman. Hello, Brother Myers. Twice a week. 3,640 times. You may be seated. 
30 to 35 years, would you stand? Brother Dodson, God bless you. Three thousand one hundred and twenty times if you just preach twice a week. Twenty-five to thirty years would you stand? Hello, Brother Erskine. Why aren't you on the platform with me tonight? I love Brother Erskine. 2,600 times if you preached only twice a week the last 25 years. You may be seated. 20 to 25 years would you stand if you've been a preacher. Two thousand and eighty times you may be seated. 15 to 20 years would you stand? One thousand five hundred and sixty times. Ten years or more would you stand? If you've preached only twice a week the last ten years, you've preached one thousand five hundred and sixty times. I would like for every man of God in the house to please stand every preacher if ever we needed God to preach my nation is corrupt and the only hope for America is some apostolic preacher to come out of the wilderness and preach repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand I want to stop just short by saying that the Pentecostal community in North America is also in trouble, but I'm concerned about the directions of some of my brethren in the ministry. This is no time to powder puff it. This is no time to fluff it. This nation is corrupt. We got to preach the gospel. Sing it, Brother Spell. I dedicate this to the men of God. All on me. While the saints are sitting, would you sing the chorus with Brother Spell? While the saints are sitting, would you hold your hand out for the men of God? Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me, anointing for Those of you that love Pentecostal preaching, would you stand? I want you.
want you to sing it as a prayer. Sing it to the preacher. inexpressible God's love is immeasurable God's love is indescribable God's love is invaluable God's love is incomprehensible God's love is inexplicable God's love is inexhaustive God's love is the healing virtue for every wound God's love is the comfort for every sorrow. God's love is the assurance for every despair. God's love is the provision for every lack. God's love is the solution for every problem. God's love is never unsteady. God's love is never unfaithful. God's love will never quit on you. God's love will never forsake you. God's love never dims. God's love never diminishes. God's love never departs. God's love never disappoints. God's love never deceives. God's love never weakens. God's love never ages. God's love never faints. God's love never falters. God's love is always truthful. God's love is always honest. God's love always brings Comfort. God's love always delivers. God's love always supplies our needs. The love of God is the Christian's foundation. The love of God is the Christian's anchor. The love of God is the Christian's rock. The love of God is the Christian's joy. The love of God is the Christian's hope. The love of God is the glory for every child of God. God's love is so perfect. 
God's love is so powerful. God's love is so precious. God's love is so priceless. God's love is so prevailing. God's love is so pure. God's love is profound. If you can inspect God's love, if you can examine God's love, if you can microscopically scrutinize God's love, you'll find no impurity and no imperfection. You'll find no indifference or no indulgences that weakens it. You'll find no prejudice and no partiality in God's love. God's love cannot be calculated by a calculator. God's love cannot be calibrated. God's love cannot be computerized. God's love is as high as heaven. God's love is as deep as the deepest part of the ocean. God's love is broader than the universe. God's love is freely given. God's love is unselfishly given. God's love is liberally given. God's love is abundantly given. God's love is universally given. And just to remind the East Coast Conference that I'm still the son of a sharecropper. You're not here tonight because of your goodness. You're not here tonight because of your high intellect. You're not here tonight because of your merits and your diplomas and your certificates. But you're here tonight because of the love of God. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it never ceases to amaze me that when we come to a conference and a gathering such as this, it's almost as if we have to be reminded that the love of God has brought us out of the Maori clay and set our feet on the rock to stay. I think at the outset tonight we ought to settle the score. We have the love of God in our hearts. You may be seated. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul said that whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. There will come a time in this dispensation of grace that the last Bible text will be read. There will come a time that the last title will be announced. There will be a time that the last anointed appeal from the pulpit will be heard. 
There will be a time, Brother Spell, that the last offering song will be sung. There will be a time that the last altar call shall be given. And I think to make my message complete tonight, if I'm going to preach tonight as if it's my last time to ever preach, you ought to get in church tonight like it's the last time you might be in church. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I got some prepared things I want to share with you, but the Lord just walked across my heart. This being my last time, I want to remind you that here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. I want to remind you that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are not names and three separate distinct persons, but they're one in Jesus Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If this indeed is my last time to preach, I don't want to give you a feel-good inspiration, but I want to remind you that it still takes repentance. What a baptism in Jesus' name and the baptism of the Holy Ghost to be in the church. And you don't have to tell me that my next paragraph is not popular, but it's incumbent on me to tell you that the church is not a worldly church. The church is not a compromising church. But it's a church without spot, without wrinkle. And we're not trying to figure out a way to be more like the world. We're trying to pray through and to be more like Jesus. Come on now. Yes, 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 yes. Just for the record's sake, you may be seated. There's 217 different Christian denominations in the United States. There's approximately 335 individual Christian congregations in the United States. Now the experts will disagree on this from time to time because each year thousands of congregations close their doors and they go out of business. And new ones in the emergent church idea, they're opening their doors to appeal to anything that will come in. And I don't want to take a cheap pot shot at them, but I want to tell this church that the church of Jesus Christ is not about to go out of business. The church of Jesus Christ is not about to go bankrupt. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Lord is going to send a word to a preacher tonight. I feel the Lord is going to send a word to a preacher's wife tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost is going to send a word to a good, faithful child of God. You listen to me. Don't you ever underestimate the power of anointed preaching. While the word of God is going forth, cancers can be healed. While the word of God is going forth, diabetes can be healed. 
while the word of God is going forth, demons will have to flee. While the word of God is going forth, the unsaved can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on, preacher. This is no time to raise the white flag and to surrender. You've got the hope for today. You've got the hope for tomorrow. So if we do the math on any given Sunday, there's approximately 335 Sunday a.m. gospel sermons that are being preached across the United States of America. To bring it closer to home, Brother Godair, in your fair city of Durham, there's 212 different individual Christian congregations. But I want to tell the precious Pentecostals tonight, we're not supposed to look like them. We're not supposed to act like them. For we've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. For you see, we're different because we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. And as God set the people of Israel apart from the heathen nations, He's also set His New Testament church apart. We sing different. We preach different. We worship different. What makes the difference is the power of the Holy Ghost and the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you seem to want to worship. Then if that's the case, let's do it full time as if it might be your last time. There's been times that I've walked out of my pulpit and wondered if I reached anybody. There's been times that I have tossed and turned through the night and preached the sermon over and over and over again. And in so doing that I would question myself, what if I would have said this and not have said that, but preacher, just find the will of God when you walk to that pulpit and just say what the Holy Ghost has you to say. I have preached to the faithful and I've preached to the faithless. I've preached to the prayerful and I've preached to the prayerless. I've preached to the saints and I've preached to sinners. I've preached to the Christ-like and I've preached to the critical. I've preached to the praisers and I've preached to the procrastinators. I've preached about heaven's promises and I've preached about the prophecies of hell. I have preached praise and worship. I have preached submission to God and intercessory prayer. I have preached against, against divisions and I've preached against problems in the church. But I've come to tell you tonight 
I feel the Lord is about to do a work in these last days. Don't stand up. I want to preach right now. I have not come to be sounding like some great political prophet. But America continues to go at a breakneck speed down the slippery slope toward a godless eternity. But I believe that God is going to raise up a preacher. I believe that God is going to raise up a voice. I haven't signed America off yet. I believe in the midst of this confusion and in the midst of this perversion that there's still a revival from sea to shining sea. I remind you that when I was young, listening to the old grayheads preach, they preached and they called sin out by its name. When I was less young, sin was generally preached against. When I became older, sin was occasionally mentioned and we were recommended to avoid certain things. And then as I've gotten older, we have been told to learn tolerance and to tolerate hey folks let me stop right here I can have tolerance with a sinner but Jesus has no toleration with the sin however anymore if we start calling sin out by name we're quickly labeled as non-progressive we're quickly labeled as non-revivalist we're quickly labeled as right-wing fanatics and right-wing radicals. And when the preacher begins to call the sins out by name in this, the 21st century, if he's not careful, he'll be scorned and he'll be ridiculed as a self-righteous Pharisee. But because of silence in the pulpit, there's an epidemic of sin and revival. Because of silence in the pulpit, we are seeing an encroachment of worldliness in Pentecostal churches and once it gets into the church you're not going to sing it out and you're not going to socialize it out but the only way to get it out is to preach it out if we are now heard preaching that it's a sin for a woman to trim or to cut her hair, we are accused as being intolerant. But the Bible has not changed. Watch out, I'm going to hit somebody's sacred cow in just a moment. If we preach it's a sin to go see the Atlanta Braves play and the New Orleans Saints play, all of a sudden we're non-socialists and we are isolationists. I'm telling you folks, a child of God don't have any business cheering on the football team and then coming to church and trying to cheer on Jesus. Blame Bishop Godair. He asked me to come preach. And I'm full of what I feel like we better do as a church. Separate yourself from the idolatrous world. Separate yourself from the cares of life. You may be seated. And I know that it's a 
real cupcake issue right now, but cupcake though it might be, this is no time to invite Hollywood and television perversion into the Christian home. The decibel is not going quite as high as it was. Why do you want to bring homosexuality and lesbianism to your children? Why do you want to bring violence and murder and cursing and nudity and pornography to your children? And I kind of felt it in my gut just when I said that the somebody threw it back like gravel in my teeth said, well, let's give Odom a few more years. He'll change. I'm going to tell you when I'm going to change that, buddy. It's when hell freezes over and thaws out and freezes over again. The Lord has called us out of that. Come on, brother. Come on, brother. Stand up, brother. Somebody help that old man upright. They'll look at him. The Holy Ghost is on him. Hamoshanda Mahuma. Worship like it's your last time, good brother. Some of you folks ought to be watching that. Obviously a little affliction right here, but don't let him out-worship you. Don't let him out-shout you. So if I am accused as being legalistic because of the gospel that I preach, then I wear it as a badge of honor. But I deny the charge. We are not self-righteous Pharisees. We are not better than you are because of our religion. But we have a conviction that the church should not mix with the world.
You may be seated. We've become experts in preaching sermons about how Jesus died, but we have not put quite as much expertise in studying and preaching about how Jesus lived. The most comprehensive sermon that he preached was three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. While he didn't title the sermon, scholars have called it the Sermon on the Mount. It seems that Jesus had a certain affinity and relationships with mountain experiences. He was tempted on the mount. He was transfigured on the mount. The most complete sermon that he preached was the Sermon on the Mount. He was executed on the mount. He ascended from the mount. When he comes back, he's coming to the mount. And I hope you don't think I'm taking a cheap shot when I say this, but my God Almighty, I feel a mountaintop experience in this service tonight. Get up! Get out of your valley! Get up! Get out of your doldrums! Get up! Get up! Be seated. The Sermon on the Mount lasted 2,441 words. The average person speaking was speaking average of 120 words a minute. That means putting the numbers together, Jesus preached the 2,441 word sermon of the Sermon on the Mount in 20 minutes and 30 seconds. But he opened his preaching by blessing his congregation. And I think that all pastors and evangelists and preachers need to understand that one of our first pulpit responsibilities is to feed the flock. No one has called you to be a mule driver or a sheep skinner. Nobody's called you to be a dictator and lord over God's heritage. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. But Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek. But Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness sake. But Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. But Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But Jesus said, blessed are ye that are persecuted for righteousness sake. But Jesus said, blessed are they that are accused falsely. But Jesus said, we must learn by the way from these things. My first goal tonight is to let you know that through anointed preaching, there's hope for your family there's hope for your church there's hope for your city there's hope for your marriage there's hope for your health
Jesus preached those 2,441 words in 20 minutes and 30 seconds. And for those of you that I know that's watching your clock, I know it's in my face. I've already been preaching for almost 40 minutes, and I ain't near through. Anybody want to see the chairman shout a while? Anybody want to see the chairman dance a while? Folks, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house tonight. There's power in preaching. There's deliverance in preaching. Healing is in preaching it. If you want a dead church, have a dead pulpit. If you want a faithless church, don't preach faith. But as for me and my house, we're going to preach revival. We're going to preach harvest. We're going to preach victory over sin and victory over Satan. Some of the greatest preachers to ever preach never stood in a pulpit. Some of the greatest preachers to ever preach never held a Bible. Some of the greatest preachers to ever preach never read a text from the Scripture. And I ask for you to consider tonight, Lucifer preaches the message to all that will hear the results of conspiracy against God. The serpent will preach the sermon tonight. The results of rebellion and lying against God. Noah's dove preaches tonight. Deliverance by faith if you trust in God. Abraham's ram that was caught in the thicket preaches tonight that God will still provide himself. The blood of bulls and goats preaches the atonement of the sins of the people from year to year. But the five and a half quarts of blood that was squeezed from the Lamb of God on the executioner's tree called Calvary, that blood preaches tonight, not your sins rolled away once every 12 months, but once you're washed in the blood, your sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. My God, folks, that deserved a bigger applause than that. You're not doing it for me. For you're not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold. Money can't buy it. Money can't buy it. But you're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. I think it's important that every time we stand in the desk to give our public sermons, we ought to be at our very best for the sake of Jesus, whom we're representing. And just off the mark here and a sidebar, you know, I hope that this casual t-shirt wearing, torn blue jean wearing, dirty sneaker wearing, Unshaven face wearing.
preachers are never welcomed to the apostolic pulpit. We're not representing a contemporary world. We're not representing a punk rock band. We're representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think that we should work hard to be articulate when we preach. I think we should work hard to have perfect diction when we preach. I think we should have the best of mannerisms when we're in the pulpit. But somewhere we got to let diction and articulation go when the Holy Ghost begins to move. Somewhere we got to lay, hey, hey, we got to let go and let the Lord do the work. And I'm telling you tonight, there's already been enough preaching in this pulpit to save all of Durham. Come on, Brother Chapman, I figured you was coming. I've been watching you. He's been back there just like a helium balloon for 15 minutes. We got time for some Holy Ghost here tonight. Huh? We got time for some Holy Ghost here tonight. Just for the record's sake, you want to rip some of that pride off of you and try shouting a few minutes yourself. You're not too pretty to shout. You're not too handsome to shout. I don't know who you think you are, but you're here tonight because of the love of God. This is what preaching is supposed to do. It's supposed to wake us up. It's supposed to stir us up. It's supposed to give us an awareness.
Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Think I hear the sound of the wind in the mulberry. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and set upon each of them. And they were all filled. They were all filled at East Coast Conference. They were all filled at East Coast Conference. may be seated. Brother Betts, would you text the kitchen and tell them we like what we eat in here better right now. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Perhaps it would be wise if I tell this audience what preaching is not. Preaching is not natural ability and personal talent. Preaching is not professionalism. Preaching is not external showmanship. Preaching is not fancy oratory. Preaching is not the product of being elected or appointed to a religious position. Preaching is not the sense of personal authority and command. Preaching is not the results of an advanced education. Preaching is not emotionalism, and God forbid it is not cheerleading. Preaching is not Lord over God's heritage. But I'm going to draw the line now and tell you what preaching really is. Humanism teaches that when you die, it's all over. But the Pentecostal preacher says, when you die, it's just beginning. Be seated. Humanism says that at death, there's no such thing as a resurrection. But the Pentecostal preacher says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Be seated. Humanism teaching there's no future life. I beg your pardon for me to live as Christ, but for me to die is gain. 
humanism saying there is no divine God or a deity. Hey, have you ever heard of a man called Jesus? The man that walked on the water. The man that turned water to wine. The man that said, drink of my water and you will never thirst again. Be seated. He's the first. He's the last. He's the future. He's the past. Infidelism says that everything was born of nothing. <laughs> Infidelism lasts at the hopes of a Christian. Infidelism spurns the promises of Christ. Infidelism scoffs at prayer. Infidelism teaches that providence is an idle dream. Infidelism teaches that prayer is a useless exercise. Infidelism teaches that heaven is the vanity of hope. Infidelism teaches that if you believe in an eternal hell, it's the results of disorganized brains. I'm kind of tired of infidelism here. I know, I know, you've heard me before. You're going to say, yeah, he's fixing to throw that. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, I am. I'm a child of God. I've been bought by His blood. I've been saved by His grace. I've been filled with His Spirit. With His blood, He wrote my name in the book of life. I have a lot to look forward to. Be seated. If you was a Buddhist tonight, you would belong to the religion of despair. If you was a Confucianist tonight, you would preach and believe the worship of dead ancestors. Help me now, Lord. And in all due respect... If you were an Islamist tonight, you would believe in a false god and a false prophet. Folks may think that I've really got my emotions well in check. But, buddy, I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. He condomo shandama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preaching works if it's in the Valley of Dry Bones or if it's on Mars Hill. Preaching works if it's in the royal palace of Agrippa or from the dungeons of Jeremiah. 
preaching works if it's in the wilderness of John the Baptist or in the temple of Jesus Christ. Ten out of ten devils that come face to face with the name of Jesus Christ, they have to go. So, Brother Booker, it's incumbent on me to finish my visit in three minutes. And, Brother, you walked all over my sermon tonight in your testimony. So, what do we preach to our nation that is perverted? First of all, we're going to take this old book and we're going to preach it like we never preached it. Be seated. I don't mind saying what I'm about to say. The gospel can deliver every drug addict. The gospel can deliver every alcoholic. The gospel can deliver every prostitute. And same-sex marriage is an abomination before God. And God can set the homosexual free. Somebody come home a Bible for me. Somebody come home a Bible for me. Up here. Hold it over my head, baby. How does my halo look? Be seated. That's the book we're going to preach. We're not going to preach from novels. We're not going to research the latest out of Disney World and preach Walt Disney. We're not going to preach the latest thriller. And we're not watching the soaps to see what we can. And we're not searching the internet to see what we can preach. We're going to preach the Bible. Because the Bible contains the mind of God. We're going to preach the Bible. Because the Bible contains the salvation of man. We're going to preach the Bible. Because the Bible tells us of the doom of the sinner. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible tells us the happiness for the believer. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is the traveler's mouth. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is the pilgrim's staff. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is the pilot's compass. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is the soldier's sword. We're going to preach the Bible because the Bible is the Christian's charter. Ladies and gentlemen, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against. You see that book over my head? That book is the book for all eras, for all ages, and for all time. You see that book over my head? Yep, it's the old time book. Yep, it's the new time book. Yep, it's the old time book. You see this book? It's the book by which this American nation was founded. And if there's hope for America, ladies and gentlemen, it's back to the Bible. 
this book that's being held over my head, we're going to preach it because it is soaked and marinated with the prayers of weeping and crying saints. We're going to preach this book because it is spotted and splotched with the blood of many martyred saints of God. We're going to preach this book because this book is rest for the weary saint. We're going to preach this book because this book is food for the hungry saint. We're going to preach this book because this book is the water for the thirsty saint. We're going to preach this book because this book is our shelter in the time of the storm. We're going to preach this book because this book is our victory in the battles of life. We're going to preach this book because this book is our hope in the dangers of life. We're going to preach this book because this book is our strength in the weaknesses of life. We're going to preach this book that's been doubted and criticized and skepticized. But this book has stood ever test. It stood ever trial. It's endured ever skeptic. It endures tonight. The Bible lives. We need a word from God. We need to 